This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Someone has referred to the book of Ephesians as God's love letter to the church. There's so much about the scheme of redemption or God's plan to save man in the book of Ephesians. We learn in the book of Ephesians that God planned man's salvation. That is, he had the plan. In the book of Ephesians, we learn that Jesus executed that plan when he died on the cross. And we also learn out of the book of Ephesians the role that the Holy Spirit plays in that scheme or in that plan to save the human family. For example, in the first chapter of Ephesians, in verse 13, we learn that we are, when we become Christians, we are sealed with the Spirit. In chapter 2 and verse 18, we learn that it is by the Spirit that we have access to the Father. In chapter 3 and in verse uh, 16, we learn that it is by the Spirit that we are strengthened with might in the inner man. In chapter 4 and verse 30, we learn that we are sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. Then in chapter 5 and verse 18, we learn that we are to be filled with the Spirit. In the sixth chapter, in verse 17, we learn that we, in our uh, a struggle with Satan, our arch enemy, are equipped with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So those are things that are said to be involved in the life of the Christian so far as the Holy Spirit is concerned. But if you'll note in chapter 4 and verse 3 that Jason just read for us a moment ago, we are to keep the unity of the Spirit. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God's always been concerned about His people living in peace. For instance, in the 133rd Psalm in verse 1, the psalmist declared, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Some things are good that might not be very pleasant, 
and some things are pleasant that might not be good, but it is both good and pleasant when we can live together in peace and love and unity. And from the book of Proverbs, the sixth chapter, we learn that one of those things that is an abomination to God are those that would sow discord among brethren. So God loves unity. And so we're told in Ephesians 4 verse 3 to endeavoring, and the word endeavor suggests intense effort on our part, that, that we must work hard at doing this, endeavoring to keep, and the word keep is a term that would suggest that we guard what we're doing, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now in our evening service, our afternoon service, we will explore verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, and we will look at some seven pillars in the temple of Christian unity. But for the next few minutes, we want to look at seven other pillars in the temple of Christian unity. Beginning in verse 4, verse 5, and going down through verse 6, that Paul writes about these seven things. And there Paul says there is one body. One body. Well, what is the one body? We're, we are indebted to Paul in the book of Ephesians, if you'll turn back to chapter 1, to identify that one body. Look at the last two verses in chapter 1, where he writes, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is the body, and the body is the church. We must keep in mind that this was written in the pre-denominational era of time. That is, it was written before there was any type of other religious organization in existence. And Paul said there is one body, and there is a head to that body, and that head is Jesus. One body, one head. To have one body and a number of heads would be rather uh, intriguing sight to see. To have a number of bodies and one head would be a monstrosity. There is one head, there is one body. That one body is called the church. And the way that one becomes a member of that one body is explained for us in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit, a Holy Spirit, 
where we're all baptized into one body. We're baptized into the body, baptized into the church. And when we're baptized into the body, into the church, it's because we're being baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, verse 27. One body. Then Paul said there's one spirit. There's just one teacher. And that one spirit is the Holy Spirit. In John the 16th chapter, verse 13, Jesus said to his disciples, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. So the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Bible. That's the reason Paul said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you have your Bible open, look in Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 3 beginning. How but by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Something is a mystery if it has been hidden. The gospel plan of redemption through Christ was a mystery in the Old Testament. It had not yet been revealed. It was hidden. It was talked about in prophecies and types and shadows in the Old Testament, but now been revealed. He said, as I wrote afore uh, in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand, this is something that can be understood, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now verse 5, which in other ages, and this would have been the Old Testament era of time, was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now, revealed unto whom? His holy apostles and prophets. How? By the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed all religious truth to those men who were inspired to write the Bible. Thus, by the time the last inspired writer died, all religious truth had been revealed to the world. So there is one body, there is just one spirit. Then he said there is one hope. Someone says, well, I hope you don't preach long this morning. Or I hope that we get out before people get down to the restaurant we're going to. Or I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. I hope it doesn't stay cold this afternoon. Is that what we mean when we talk about hope? Romans 8.24 tells us that we are saved by hope. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 calls Jesus our hope. Christ who is our hope. In Colossians 1.27 we read Christ in you the hope of glory. The world today is looking for hope. Young people today are searching for hope. They're looking for a better world in which we live, and there is a better way. Christ is our hope. Paul said there's one hope, 
And you and I as Christians, according to 1 Peter 3.15, are to be able to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason for the hope that we have. Well, what is that hope? In 1 Corinthians 13 and 13, Paul said, Now by faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. There will be a time on life's other side that we will no longer walk by faith. It will be by sight. So there will be no faith. Then there will be no hope because that which we hoped for will now be a realization. And then the only thing that will abide is love. God is love. Won't it be wonderful? Won't it be glorious? Isn't it beyond our imagination to even try to conceive today being in a world and in an environment when all there is is love? I believe that's what heaven is going to be like. But what about hope today? Hope is earnest expectation of that which we hope that is going to happen to us, that we're going to receive. Listen to Paul in Titus 1 verse 2. In hope, There it is, our word again. In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised. Promised what? Hope. Before when? The world began. In in eternity, God planned uh, 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 the salvation of man that would result in heaven in eternal life. We hope for that. We expect it. And God promised it. And hence I can believe today that we have that one hope, one hope of everlasting life. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we expect to happen. And then he says there is one Lord. Who is that one Lord? Well, in Acts 2.36, Peter on the day of Pentecost says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, not another one, but that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. He's Lord over all, Acts 10, 36. Years ago, they had a big billboard on Interstate 65 on the other side of Mobile, and it read, Jesus is Lord of Mobile. That sounds good, doesn't it? But, and that's good. I, I, I could only wish Jesus were the Lord of Mobile. It wouldn't be so much bad stuff going on over there. And I wish he was the Lord of Baldwin County. But, but, but I got news for them. He's the Lord of the universe. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over all. You know, Saul of Tarsus asked when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Highway, Lord, what will you have me to do? We need to be asking that question today, don't we? Lord, Lord, what will you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to live my life, Lord? See, he's in control. I'm not in control of anything. He's in control. About the only thing I can control is my will. I can choose to accept him as Lord or reject him as Lord. But let me tell you, he's going to be Lord anyway. He's going to be Lord anyway. One Lord. Lordship of Jesus and obeying Jesus are linked together. 
You know, Jesus said, what God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And those are two things that are linked together, that are joined together, that you cannot separate. The Lordship of Jesus in obedience. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I, what, say? Lord. And in Romans 14, verses 7 to 9, Paul wrote, He is Lord of the living. He is Lord of the dead. And he's Lord whether you like it or not. He's Lord whether you acknowledge it or not. He is Lord whether you confess him or not. And there is a day coming, Paul wrote in Romans 14, verses 11 and 12, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all these folk out here running around denying Jesus and denying God and, 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 and making fun of those of us that are trying to live a good Christian life. There's a day coming they're going to wish they had acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior of their life and obeyed His will. One Lord. And then Paul said there is one, one faith. People are accustomed in our time to talking about the many different faiths that we have. The Bible says one faith. Jude 3 says earnestly contend for a faith, no. Some faith, no. The faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. One faith. One system of belief. Someone says, well, we, don't you know, Billy, we live in a pluralistic society and that, that, that people have a right to believe what they want to. Yes, they've got a right to believe what they want to. But not when it comes to if they respect the Bible and they respect the authority of God and the authority of the Scriptures, they don't have that right because there is one faith. People have not always adhered to it. I can just be honest with you. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, listen to him in verse 1. Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, pretty clearly understandable, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So people can depart from the faith, but you can contend for the faith. You can adhere to the faith. You can believe the faith. One faith. One faith. That's another pillar in the temple of Christian unity. Then he says there's one baptism. Did you know there are several baptisms mentioned in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the baptism of Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, 
As it were, they were encompassed with water, with water to the sides of them and the cloud overhead. They was filled with water. Moses' baptism, baptism under Moses. Baptism of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. John said, I, I need baptize you with water under repentance, but there's one that come, comes after me who's mightier than I. John baptized in water. He baptized near Salem because there's much water there, John 3, 23. The baptism of John the Baptist. There's, there's a baptism of, of, of fire mentioned in the Bible. John, John said, uh, go back to Matthew chapter 3, now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree therefore that ha- it bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Indeed I baptize you with water under repentance, but there's one who's coming after me who is mightier than I, whose shoes you're not worthy to bear, who shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I was in a meeting uh, uh, one time up in Mississippi. I call it kind of lackluster meeting. There, there wasn't much going on in that meeting. I can just tell you that I, 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 I was about ready to pack my goods and go home, you know. And a lady came out and she said, I can tell you what this church needs. She was a visitor. She said, this here church needs them a good old baptism of fire. I said, let me tell you, lady, you can have all the baptism of fire you want because that's not talking about what you think it is. Because the fire, Jesus said, some people are going to be, John said, some are going to be baptized with fire. They're lost. Because down in verse 12, he explains the kind of fire he's talking about. And when he says that, that, uh, that the wheat will be gathered in the garner, but the chaff will he burn up with what kind of fire? Unquenchable fire. You see, John was speaking to a mixed audience of people. Some of them were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and the apostles were on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But there were some there that were going to be, that would be lost. Some would be lost. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The only other instance of it is in the 10th chapter of Acts where Cornelius, a Gentile, and his household received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that was in order to convince the Jews the Gentiles had a right to the gospel. Baptism of fire. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then there's a baptism of suffering Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 20 where Jesus asked if you're able to be baptized with the baptism I'm to be baptized. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they were, Jesus was going to be overwhelmed in suffering. Baptized as it were with suffering. And they just thought they were going to be able to endure that. But then another baptism is the baptism of the Great Commission. Where Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And and by the time Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, there was only one baptism. What was that one baptism? The baptism of the Great Commission where Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it is in water. In Acts 10, 47, Peter asked, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized 
which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we, and he commanded them to be baptized. Baptism is a command of God. Can you go to heaven without obeying a command of God? So it is a command of God. And so the baptism of the Great Commission, one baptism, it is, for, it is in water, burial in water, Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, and it is for remission of sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 30. One baptism, one baptism. Then finally, here's the seventh pillar in the temple of Christian unity. There's only one God. Somebody says, you have your God, I have mine. One God, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Paul came into the city of Athens, a city that was given over to paganism, given over to idolatry, and as he went in that city, his heart was stirred within him when he saw all of the different idols that they had erected, the different gods that they worshipped. And he said, as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I saw an idol with this inscription, to the unknown God. Uh, it's, it appears that they were afraid they might leave out one they didn't know anything about. So they just had an idol to him. Paul said, him therefore whom you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He said, let me tell you about the one true God. And in verse 24, he said, he's a God doesn't dwell in a temple. He doesn't dwell in a house made with hands. He is a God in whom we live and whom we move and have we, we have our very being, verse number 28. But not only that, he said in verse 30 and 31, he is a God who expects us to turn away from our sins and he is a God with whom we shall, to whom we will answer one day in the judgment. One God. So I've just rehearsed to you this morning the seven pillars in the temple of Christian unity. If you're not a Christian, I'd urge you to take your stand with Jesus today. You'll never regret it. You will never, ever regret taking your stand with Jesus. Would you come this morning believing on him with all your heart, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, be baptized into Christ today? That one baptism will put you into Christ. We have the baptistry ready. We can have Brandon to take you down to the water and immerse you into the water for the remission of your sins. I know he'd be happy to do that. He'd be happy to baptize a hundred people today, wouldn't you, Brandon? And, and so it, it, it takes about ten minutes to do that. What's 10 minutes compared to where you're going to be in eternity one day? We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com. Or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to know your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.